This is a Broad Pods production. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. People say life is a journey, not a destination. But how do you know you're on the right path? If only we could see the signs when they appear. Well, I'm Amy Kwa. And I'm Jo Stanley. And on A to B, we speak to fascinating people about how they navigated their way to be here now, having profound impact on the world. We hope our conversations will help you reflect on everything you've been through to get here. The triumphs, challenges and bumps along the road. And if you haven't already, find your own map to what matters. And this woman came up to me and she said, hi, I'm one of the reviewers for the Australian newspaper. And I thought she was going to say, I, I don't know what I thought she was going to say, but I didn't think she was going to say, you had a really ugly rash across your chest <laughs> and neck while... <laughs> and, and thankfully, I laughed in her face because it was, I think, such a shock and it was so mean... Hello, it's Joe here, and this is a very special episode because it's part two of our deeply delightful conversation with the amazing Kaz Cook. If you haven't heard part one, I strongly recommend you go back and listen to it. Not surprisingly, she is one of the great storytellers, and her tales of how she began her career in journalism are riveting and hilarious. So go back. Listen to part one if you haven't already heard it. Kaz, of course, is like every woman's best friend with her brilliant books giving us the guide to our bodies for decades now. And in part two, we dive into menopause, which is the subject of her latest book. And we begin with our own A to B of Kaz. So my A to B with Kaz is just that I've read Up the Duff and so then you were, you know, part of my whole, I've got four children oh. and so I read it four times and my husband had it foisted in his face four times <laughs> and did not read it any of those times but I did and yeah. so it helped me profoundly so along glad. with everybody I'm so else glad. Um, and I won't take you through all of the minutiae of my pregnancies <laughs> as some of your readers have done. I mean she's got four so there's a lot to go <laughs> yeah, through. There's a lot to go through. How is Alphonse? Yes, <laughs> very well. Uh, but Joe, you have a much more literal or literal, as people say these days, <laughs> A to B. Well, I I believe because I still have a copy of Living with Crazy Buttocks on, oh, right. on and I just moved house, Kaz, and I've done 
the culling of books uh, that yeah, you have to do when too. you downsize, which is deeply painful. Yeah. And to go hold a book in your hand and go, I loved this, but do I need it? No, I can't fit it on the shelf. I did. I did keep living with crazy buttocks. Oh. Because profoundly I read it and went, oh, I really think my writing is not shit. That's one of the things. I thought the kind of writing that I do, and probably I have, you were one of the first columnists to write, you know, funny opinionated pieces, opinion pieces and opinionated. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I remember reading it and thinking there is um, there is perhaps a path for me as a writer because I always wanted to be a writer and I didn't know that there were different ways of writing, I guess, and probably have imitated a lot of what you did to begin with. I hope I've got my own voice now. but um, Oh, you, you have. But isn't that fascinating because mm. I learned that working in the secondhand bookshop, you saw it in what I was doing. Weirdly, before I wrote a recent book of mine called um, You're Doing It Wrong, The History of Bad and Bonkers Advice to Women. Best book. So heaps of research. But because I've got to be so careful when I write the the medical books and there's sad bits and difficult bits in them, you know, in the uh, up the duff I have to write about the possibility of miscarriage and, and stillbirth and, I, and, you know, those are not places to make jokes. So you have to have mm. that sense of, you know, and you just develop that over time, I think. But I realised that I could just let myself off the leash with you're doing it wrong and be furious and make every joke that I wanted to, be incredibly rude about all the male philosophers. And I got this fantastic fellowship to the National Library of Australia, so I had 12 weeks there. One of the books I got out at my desk there was Helen Gurley Brown. Uh, Sex and the Single Girl from the 1960s, which, and the message of it is how to find a man, how to <laughs> how to treat a man on a date, you know, what's good about being single and living on your own, more time to iron your collars. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but her voice, her voice is hilarious and her voice is, it, it was really so weird to be so inspired by the idea of just letting your personality through, even though I didn't agree with hardly a single syllable of what she was writing. And it was really inspiring to me. Wow. And I remember not being allowed to use my way of writing about politics and got into so much trouble. And then years later, I saw Annabelle Crabb writing a sketch from uh the national parliament and thought, ah, oh, she's broken through. So I think, you know, I was sceptical of that idea. If you can't see it, you can't be it. And I'm always worried about the idea of heroines or inspiration because sometimes I think, I remember thinking, you know, Roseanne Barr was fantastic and then she lost her mind. <laughs> and <laughs> so you have to be careful not to kind of put all your eggs in that basket to use a terrible uh, cliche that I would make sure I didn't write in a book. I'd have another think about the phrase to use. but Or you'd do a really funny cartoon with <laughs> yes. a whole lot of eggs in a basket. <laughs> yeah. So, and sometimes I do look at something and I think that's a cartoon or that's a phrase. Mm. And I know I'm not the best cartoonist in the world because I had to choose in the end and I, had to, and I chose the writing which was going to make me, you know, more of a, a living. But Hermione created your voice. Like she was the start of that really sort of. Oh my God, I'm funny, finding this acidic. so insightful. You're absolutely right. Yeah. I'm 60 years old. I've been drawing her for more than 40 years, and you're absolutely right. 
I did say things through that cartoon character I wouldn't have said at work. Mm, yeah, you honed your voice through her. I'm a ventriloquist. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, then she's your alter ego. I'm sure that that's been said so many See, this is why I wanted to come times. and have this interview <laughs> because it's with smart women. Well, here's another question for you because I read, when in doubt, make a fool of yourself. You were quoting... Um, make Cynthia yourself- Heimel. Yeah. So tell us about Cynthia Heimel because that, we talk about these little sliding door moments or just the yeah. in, infinitesimal yeah. moments in our lives yeah. that tiny, shape tiny. who we are. Okay, I went to the 7-Eleven in Flemington Road, busy road in Melbourne, 7-Eleven on the corner near where I was living. And in those days you could buy books from 7-Eleven. <laughs> Whoa, those days are gone. Um, and I bought this book called Sex Tips for Girls by Cynthia Heimel. And I remember the look I got from the clerk and but just something about it. I think I must have turned it over and it said, you know, columnist for the village voice. And I went, oh, okay, this is for me because I'd started being a columnist by then. And so Cynthia Heimel wrote and she was a, a huge influence on me She and she had her own voice. She was, you know, I hate these words because they're often only used for women, but she was feisty. She was sassy. She wrote about relationships from a feminist point of view, but funny before her time in terms of, and I think that came from being in New York, like gay friendly, all of that kind of stuff. And I guess until then I'd kind of thought, well, I guess I'm gay friendly, but I haven't, hadn't openly written about it. So by the time I wrote a book called The Modern Girl's Guide to Safe Sex, I knew who I wanted to be an ally to and you know, how I wanted to write that stuff. So she was huge. And in fact, recently I wrote a, a column for the, just a one-off for the monthly magazine. And they said, what phrase, you know, what is a sentence that you remember that changed your life? And it was Cynthia Heim saying, when in doubt, make a fool of yourself. Because you've got to be brave to use your own voice. I'm worried about AI coming in and being used to write books and because mm. I think we need heart and soul and experience and bravery and, you know, a burning desire or at least, you know, someone wanting to have fun with writing something. So uh, when you interpret Make a Fool of Yourself, do you interpret that as just be vulnerable and just be true? Because there's different ways that you can actually yeah, read that Yeah, another good question. Word. Gee, women are making me think. I reckon when I first started writing a column... I had so many men saying, who's writing that for you? <laughs> so They would write in and say, does your husband write that? My uncle oh, told stop. everyone that there was a man at the age writing it and putting my name on because if there's one thing men like, it's giving away their kudos to someone for no yeah. reason. And I think a lot of, well, I know a lot of people, like especially more senior men, thought it was trivial and it became my column that I was writing called Keep Yourself Nice, which was the first, as far as I know, the first revival of an etiquette column. You see it everywhere Mm. now, but it was the first revival of an etiquette column in an Australian paper for many years. And I mean, they they were in New Idea and and the Women's Weekly, but not in a newspaper. And so there was this, not discrimination, but I was looked down on for writing. It was trivial. It was silly. It was, and then it became the most popular. Mm. And I remember the editor asking me into his office and going, this column, like everyone we do focus groups on, loves it. Do you need any help? Do you need anyone to help you write the letters? And I went, Mike, I don't write the letters. 
And he went, what? <laughs> and I said, I don't make up the letters. This is the read. Like he didn't even understand that readers want to, they re- want to relate to you and they want to, and, and to be fair to him, some of them I think got the idea that it was fun and was sort of writing in a fun way. So he thought that was kind of my style mm. and you know, I was really rude to anyone who wrote in from North Ball and got an absolute yeah. spray just for fun. And I think they, I think people got it, yeah. you know. Yeah. And I think that has gone on for my whole career. I've been to writing festivals. I'm hardly asked to a single one anymore. But I remember just before going out on stage to do a panel with a whole bunch of writers, a very, oh, how should I describe her? Um, she was a cow. Um, she, she was... <laughs> She was a well-known literary writer and like we were literally, we were in the wings with, you know, one with the momentum started and one foot forward and she said to me, how does it feel to be here with real writers? Oh, what? And what? I, I thought, okay. Um, oh, no. Wow. And so because I write funny... As well as my heart just stopped then for a little. I know, second. I just and the can't other thing, that, someone would say that. Yeah, so you do have to toughen up, right? Mm. And I remember my dear departed friend John Clark launched my first novel at the Adelaide Writers Festival, and so I was I was terrified. I was up there with him. He mercifully made it very short. We came down, everyone sort of milling around, having champagne in, in a tent. And this woman came up to me and she said, hi, I'm one of the reviewers for the Australian newspaper. And I thought she was going to say, I, I don't know what I thought she was going to say, but I didn't think she was going to say, you had a really ugly rash across your chest <laughs> and neck <laughs> while, <laughs> and, and, and thankfully I laughed in her face because it was, <laughs> I think, such a shock and it was so mean and I laughed and she said, I just thought you'd want to know. And I went, oh, really? <laughs> and so there's always going to be people who want to take you down a peg yeah. for whatever reason. You know, I was 26. She would have been in her 50s. I think she was either just a mean. Yeah, but that's bullshit, right, spirited. because I'm in my 50s now and I would uh, never, uh, no. ever but want to take someone down but like you wouldn't, that. So she's just nasty. Yeah, yeah, she's nasty. But you also wouldn't have, if you saw a young woman launching her book, you wouldn't be looking to take her down a peg never. or two because she was a young, you No, know. I'm just joyous yeah. about that, yeah. right? I'd be so, stoked that I got invited, yeah. to be honest. <laughs> Who's that <laughs> champagne? <laughs> You two know me so well. <laughs> oh, no, Joe, I was talking about myself. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I, you know, I sometimes you just fake it. Mm. Sometimes you have that hard armadillo carapace of, I mean, another interview I did, I mean, I'm sort of telling you all of these things when we hear you laugh, but um, <laughs> when I wrote... It's uh, working. Yeah. <laughs> when I wrote The Modern Girl's Guide to Safe Sex, which which in 1987-88 was really important, you know, the AIDS pandemic had begun, um, people were, you know, there was syphilis, there was gonorrhea, and in fact it's making a return at, at the moment. But I remember being on 2GB radio in Sydney, which is sort of the slightly conservative uh, talkbacky sort of joint, and it was uh, a guy who used to be a weather presenter and he was given a show. Anyway, first question, I'm on there to talk about the modern girl's guide to safe sex. First question, he looks me dead in the eye and he goes, how many of these diseases have you had? Oh. And I thought, wow. wow. <laughs> so he thought I was a slut. Uh. 
And that's why I'd written the and book called The Modern Girl's Guide to Safe Sex. I mean, so you're going to come across all sorts of different attitudes and a, a lot of them are very uh, tenacious. They hang in for a long time, mm. especially from these old blokes with with radio shows. Oh, well, i got mm, lots to say about that. We can go there. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Moving right along. Um, So, Kaz, you talk about, you know, the bolshiness and I feel at times the reason I have felt like you are everybody's best friend is because you say what we can't say or are scared to say. But surely there's a self-doubt in you always and does that ever leave you as you get older? Um, Yeah, the first part of the answer is yes. Also, I had a really hideous uh, divorce after 24 years just a few years ago which blindsided me. And I had not anticipated that I would be knocked into a difficult mental health period, which I was for a couple of years. So, uh, and I think it was menopause too. And so if you have a propensity to OCD or eating disorders or for me, anxiety or depression, so I got knocked into, into anxiety getting worse and I'm only just getting on top of that. Um, I get incredibly anxious before any live event and I'm actually trying to work out whether medication is going to help me or I have to give that up because at this age it's been going on for so long and I find it so debilitating during publicity things. But there's something I really want to do, which is probably going to be a tour with Judith Lucy uh, later in 2024. We're, We're going to do like a menopause roadshow maybe. And so we're going to oh, talk about the book and she's going to do her material about mm. menopause. And I think that would be really fun. So I want to be able to, if not vanquish anxiety, be better at managing it because it has crept up on me and, and gotten worse. I did see your little nod to her in your book as well. It was about somebody who had read oh, her yes. book. Oh, yes, Some, mm, someone had taken a quote. a quote of Jude's and, and said, as Judith Lucy says, and I went, hang on a minute, I said that and she <laughs> put it in. A, but she always she always says, as my friend Kaz says, um, but it was just a little bit of a joke. But, yeah, we've been close since we worked together in commercial radio and it always makes me laugh when men in particular say, so do you ever see Judith? And I'm like, mm-hmm. we are best besties, you know, Mm. we both have other close friends, but yeah, I don't, I think sometimes people don't understand the bonds between women Mm. that can be. Interestingly, she also has sort of inverted commas, I say, given up stand-up comedy because she's still doing performance, but she made that decision due partly to the anxiety that she felt around live performance. What she's not going to do is lots of tiny, Mm. you know, like, a hundred people rooms ten times. Yeah, you know, and that's one thing I've said to her: just do it all at once in a much bigger venue, and then you don't have to. There's more feel control to that so. too. Like I think because I don't do stand-up comedy anymore either. Because well, the, I don't. I never did it I, because I think it's incredibly difficult. Mm. And I, you know, watched you on stage once and thought because that's fake it till you make it mm. too, right? Mm. Or fake it even after you've made it. You yeah, know, but, I, the, I think, but the anxiety, <laughs> I. To your point, I think it does increase as you age. Yeah. And the conversation around menopause and what is real life, what is just life situation and what is actually brought on by your hormonal changes because of menopause is really hard. Like I think I have had way worse anxiety the older I get. But yeah. is that because of menopause? I don't know. For some people it is. Mm. And um, it certainly helped me to go on menopausal hormone therapy, which is sort of MHT, the new word Mm. for HRT, same thing really. 
I, but I'm just going to interject there because I am going to take your advice from the book and take the book into my doctor because my doctor actually, and this sort of theme comes up again and again throughout um, It's the Menopause, my doctor, like the doctors of so many of your um, survey participants, sort of tried to persuade me not to push for um, any sort of hormone therapy. So I just thought, wow, that's so interesting that that's the, the theme for so many women that you yeah. need to either find another doctor or take your book in to show That's right. Them. And there is, in fact, a whole page of um, questions to ask your doctor and another whole page of here's where to get your info on the on online. Please don't just Google. Mm. Um, so equip yourself. It is sometimes cliches are cliches because they're really useful and true and knowledge is power is one of them. But if you're still getting the, hey, everyone goes through this, mm. I mean, a lot of people don't want to go on medication or can't because of a history with certain conditions and that's fine. But there are other things they can do that they're often not offered. A lot of doctors, I think, don't know enough and have been saying things like just put up with it. Mm. The pivotal thing for me was that I looked at in the index and I looked up blood tests because I had a blood test and my blood (coughs) test came back in adverted commas normal. So then the doctor said well, you don't need any therapy because it's normal. But then I felt so... How old were you when you had that test? It was two months ago, so 49. Outrageous. So then I love that I could find in your book that the blood test isn't actually the be-all and end-all of any kind of diagnosis of perimenopause because really... No, if you're at the age where you can expect perimenopausal symptoms, a blood test probably won't help. If you are before the age of 40, you're worried that you might have an early menopause and that's going to affect fertility and also and and, you know your bones and your heart disease risk because it's happening to you so early that's really important and then and and a blood test done once and then another one in three months can be very useful for women under 40 but if you're in your 40s in your 50s what doctors should be doing is going by the symptoms that you're having the likelihood of them being linked to menopause and then treat you accordingly. So you've got to think of your hormones not like a graph that goes along in a straight line and then goes off a cliff. It's more like the ABC logo, right? Up, down, (laughs) around, and then back to the start and the same thing happening again. You can have different hormone levels between four o'clock, five past four, uh, next Thursday, next month, because you might be releasing two eggs and then the next uh, month you'll release no eggs. So that makes a difference to the heaviness of your period and all sorts of things. You know, everyone has a different reaction to the hormones. Everyone has different hormonal level behavior. And so many of those things, you know, and including people are being prescribed testosterone and little pellets. That is not a good idea. People are being prescribed progesterone cream. Terrible idea. Uh, unless it's a pharmaceutical product because you otherwise and, and you're doing the dose that's recommended. So much stuff is happening that is confusing and not helpful. And that's why I wanted to corral it all in the book. I'm sure in 10 years I will have had to have updated this four or five times. But in 10 years you'll be writing the book, I'm old and still hot. Not, <laughs> not going to be writing that book. I can absolutely tell you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I feel like, you know, you, you have uh, followed me through all the stages of my life with yeah. every book that you've released and it always has felt a little bit autobiographical for you because yes. it is, you know, your stages, I guess, as well. Is there not somehow something around ageing? I just don't want to write about it. You know, part of my <laughs> menopausal, what is my what is the freedom I want to chase? What are the priorities? I thought to myself, kind of led by some of those women and all those lovely quotes in the book, when was I last really, really happy at work? And it was in the archives of the State Library of Victoria researching a vaudevillian dancer. I read this book, um, Ada. And it became Ada, which was probably one of my least selling books. And I look back on it and maybe I shouldn't have written it in her voice, but I was just sort of trying out, you know, what this fiction might be, but it was about real people. Everyone in the book was real. I loved all the photos because there were photos of real people in the book um, that I researched. I had a ball. I loved it. I loved um, walking around my town, going on to Trove and imagining what buildings used to be there and what used to happen, uh, what it was like for a, a woman in, in the late 1800s to have to make her own way. And so I've decided I'm now going to, there's a whole archive overseas somewhere and I'm going in February and I'm going to spend three weeks in the archive and, uh, and research a new type of woman who got used, I can't say what it is yet, but used a kind of performance to get out of poverty or mm. under the thumb of a father or a husband or, and I am going to love it. Mm. You know, oh, there's joy. Yeah, just I'm just going to be. People are going to bring, bring me boxes. I'm going to mm. open them and go, look at that. That's a silk fan from bloody blah. blah. I'm just, oh, and you'll just make discovery after discovery. It's exciting. And for, and you know, there are so many well catalogued collections now. So it's not like you're falling over something in a box. There are wonderful catalogs. Things have been preserved conserved by fabulous archivists and uh, librarians and all sorts of people. So even though I can't get a grant to do that from those institutions because I don't have a uni degree, oh, um, Jesus. I just really want to do it. Amazing. Yeah. So, mm. yeah, I'm going to go on my own and I'm going to love it. So we talk about purpose. I mean, this whole podcast is about people who are living their purpose I mean, I've assumed your purpose is being the voice of women and, you know, writing books that uh, arm us with information. And But is that your purpose? Have I put words in your mouth? <laughs> <laughs> I think it has been. I think I'm a bit burnt out and I think because it feels, look, I, I'm not a coal miner or, you know, someone in a war zone, so it feels icky to say, you know, it's a difficult job or it's a hard job because I feel incredibly lucky to have made a living as a writer, which is relatively rare in Australia because the market's so much smaller than elsewhere. And my, my, my books by and large just only sell in Australia, partly because my voice is pretty Australian and 
medical information is Australian. I'm really proud of the books that I've done and I will continue to update them. So that purpose will continue. That in itself would be very time consuming because you've it got so really many to is. keep updating. It really is. Now, and now that there's, it's the menopause as well. But, you know, I've hit 60. I don't know if it's the menopause hitting 60. My 25-year-old daughter is living with me because of the rental crisis and, you know, got another year of study to go. And she's sort of at the start of, you know, working out what she wants to do and heading towards that. And you say that your life's changed because you've recently gone through a divorce, so that's a whole new Yeah, so it made, it took me a while to get back on my mental feet, if that's not <laughs> mixing the metaphor, but when you're really blindsided and you feel betrayed, whatever the circumstances are, and I have a daughter so I don't talk about what I think happened publicly, but whatever happens, if you feel a sense of betrayal and a sense of being blindsided and not seeing something coming, it really did for my confidence in I couldn't even choose a paint colour for a while. Mm. It's like what would I know? I thought I didn't mm. realise that was happening. Um, so it is very surprising when you're a feminist and you've got your own career, you can still be and you don't need a, a man to be yourself. You can still, if you assume that you're going to grow old with someone and you assume that your relationship is one thing and then realise it's not that at all. And then I felt shame about that. I thought, oh, I'm supposed to be the strong feminist who's, you know, if I was writing a book about this, which I thought of for a while, and then I thought, oh, God, no, don't want to touch it, even though it would be great. I mean, to talk about it, (laughs) because Jude and I were talking about maybe doing a podcast, but I can't face it. Mm. And I don't know if I'll ever be able to face it. I'm so much better now, but I felt a great deal of shame that I wasn't going which is crazy, right? After 24 years, mm. you don't go, oh, well, that's done then, oh. you know, mm. <laughs> and I'm moving on very quickly. So I've, I've been to therapy and, and time itself has been useful in thinking about other relationships in my life and what you trade off in a relationship and, you know, the balance of that. And I think um, most people by my age have been through at least one thing in life that's very humbling, like a, an illness or a disability or something in their family or they've lost a job that was important to them or so this was one of mine Mm. um and yeah and I feel really good coming out the other end of that I feel really good about being single and happy about that's good because that's a sliding door moment in itself what happened yeah and benefit from it is wonderful yeah and I just having time to or, you know, like facing things and thinking, okay, what do I want now? And I realised what I wanted was a sanctuary for me and my daughter if necessary, not because of any physical danger mm-hmm. but just the feeling of, well, that whole thing that I thought was really solid. And, again, you realise why cliches are so useful, rug out from under you, shifting sand, all of those phrases. And so now I've bought a flat and with which had an extra bedroom so my daughter could come when she needed to and stay and that makes me feel really happy mm. um and it it's a it's a small thing but a big thing yeah you know it's a massive thing but yeah. at 60 i mean i feel like you now with this new project that's moving away from the you know these really fact heavy yeah. dense creations that you've yeah. gifted us all you know you're starting a whole new stage of your life yeah, and, you know, there is still that bit of me going, 
oh, shouldn't I choose the most commercial thing Mm. that I could possibly do? But I'm also looking back. Interesting, you should say that you have Living with Crazy Buttocks, Mm. which was one of my collections of columns. And the other two books are called Get a Grip and Get Another Grip. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I was the only person who ever laughed about that. <laughs> Get Another Grip makes me really laugh. Just means you really failed to do that. <laughs> um, and I was thinking I should go and look and see if any of them stand up mm. and that maybe I can add some new stuff to it. And Yeah. Yeah. Because I think actually my, even though these books are big and thumping and researched and researched out the wazoo, I think my real talent is writing to about 800 words. I think mm. I think I got in the groove of writing columns when I was young and I think that's actually what I'm best at, which is why the introductions to chapters are op- often pretty funny in my mm. books because it's about that column length. So And the roundups as well are pretty funny too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the summaries. Thank you, darling. <laughs> funny in between. Well, do you know, I wish for you the same bolshiness that you started your career with at 18 because I reckon when you hit 50 and 60, your confidence sometimes is really shot. And I look back at who I was when I was 22, 23, I'm like, fuck me, she was, that chick was nuts. The things that I did, the outrageous attitude that I had, and I really want to embody that sometimes. I wish for you the same. And I think think it's really happening. I looked back at some of those cartoons because I was you know, 18 or 19 when I started, and they're in really tiny, thin little line. And then I look at the way I draw now and it's really bold. Mm. <laughs> I love that. And so it's, there's, there's mm. something the has happened with the, yeah, artistry. the physicality of, of drawing and Hermione has been with me as a sort of avatar of me in a way, as you've, you know, identified and I was really surprised when I look back at those cartoons from the mid-80s, I reckon a good quarter of them were about sexual harassment. Mm. They were about Me Too way before mm. Me Too because it's always been happening. Yeah. And as a young woman, I could see it and feel it and those cartoons really resonated with people. Yeah. So that's and fascinating too. And I hate to use too. this term but of course you were ahead of your time creating those images then. And so when you talk about repurposing or seeing where some of your work today can sit now, there's huge opportunity for that if that's what you want to do, of course, because the world's in a different place. I don't think I was ahead of my time. I think I was lucky. I think that in journalism and a whole lot of other places, they opened the sash window a tiny bit and some of us tumbled through. If they'd had as many women cartoonists on The Age, The Bulletin, The Sydney Morning Herald, all of those media things that were important then and much less so now, we would have had women's voices, women's understandings, you know, and and there were a couple, you know, Jenny Coops and Victoria Roberts, and they had really different sensibilities. It's so much, I think, about opportunity and I think all of those issues have been with us for all time and just women need to get hold of the microphone, which is why broad radio is so important, the real microphone and the metaphorical microphone. And cartoons are kind of dead now. You know, there's there know. are still some in newspapers, but it's it's a little bit like being, you know, a wheat collector in the 1800s, you know, that eventually a machine came in and did it. 
the, the newspapers are, are going. There'll be another yeah, way to I, do I it. I follow a lot on Instagram. Yeah, who, who are incredible. Yeah, so and people very, have got to find very new. new so I should also, have said newspaper cartooning mm, is yeah. on the way out. So people have to find a new way. And there's brilliant zines, and mm, so mm. that scene is. Um, I follow Mel Stringer on Instagram, and I look at her stuff and go, "Oh my god, I would, ne- you know, I would never have been bold enough." To do so, and and I even have that thing as an older woman of sometimes going, oh, that's a little bit vulgar, Mel. You know, I, I love her, <laughs> I do love her, and then I realise that's my problem, yeah, not yeah. hers. Yeah. It's now, actually really funny and important that she's mm. doing that. Now you've we've sort of talked about your purpose and how your purpose can change throughout life and one's career, but what we love to sort of land on with our A to B discussions is what your B is. So as Kaz Cook, not the B in your bonnet, but the, the, what is <laughs> well, it Well, there's, there's a hive in there, Mimi. <laughs> um, well, it's not original, I'm sure, and but I thought about this and thought about my work over time and, you know, there, there's a lot of possibilities, right? There's be bold, there's be discerning, there's... But I think for me, truly... At the base level of all of it, and it's a foundation, it's a scaffolding, everything is built on, be your own best friend. Because it means, what would you tell your friend? Stay in that relationship, get out. Have a chore list for your family because you're burning yourself out. Say no to some things. That thing that person said to you is horrible. Don't listen to it. Be your own best friend. If you say those things to yourself, why is this person doing this to me? If you ask those, and and part of being your own best friend, I think, is asking those questions. Why is someone telling me to buy this moisture? Why is that celebrity banging on about menopause when all they're doing is trying to sell, sell me a desiccated green powder with absolutely no scientific evidence for that particular formula or their moisturiser or their whatever? Being your own best friend, you ask those questions should I knee-jerk get medication? Should I knee-jerk re- refuse medication? Think about what's best for you. So that's what I came up with at mm. the end of thinking about it is that be your own best friend really sets you up for, you know, not taking that crap about being a bad mother because, you know, you haven't mm. got your own fitness app. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, And also I think be your own best friend means... Forgiveness of self and, and yeah. total self-compassion. It's exactly what you would say to a friend. Mm. It's such a simple idea. What would you, if your best friend was going through what you're going through, what would you tell them? Mm. It's an incredibly simple shortcut if you can really do it and then apply it to yourself. That's I a mean, beautiful I'm, B. I'm still trying to mm. be my own best friend. I think it's a lifelong yeah. learning, journey, exploration. Yeah. I don't know all the cliches. It's sort of, you know, like when you're in therapy and they say you're going to have to sit with this and I'm like, I really don't want to sit with it. (laughs) I'd like to go out and ignore it entirely, please. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I I would say to my best friend, do you like the therapist? Do you think this is a good idea? Well, then maybe try that. Mm. So, yeah, I'm better than I used to be. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you so much, Kaz Cook. Be your own best friend. I love it. Yeah. Well, you have been our best friend for so long and uh, it's just been such a joy to hear so much of your storytelling and what's brought you to now. We're really Good grateful. Lord. This, I reckon this we is the best grateful. interview I've ever had. Oh. I just think you're so insightful. That, no, that, oh, seriously, the, 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 best, speak for you as well. the best questions you've asked really deep 
emotional questions, but also really uh, insightful, smart, clever questions. So, yeah, I never listen to when I've done an interview, but I'm listening back to this because I feel like in you making me think about a few things, I'm learning some stuff from Mm. about me, but also about how women do support each other and get each other. And this has just been such a lovely example of that. Thank you. Well, you have to come back. All right. (laughs) Thank you for listening. We love you joining us for our A to B chats. Yes, we do. Please see our show notes for our acknowledgement of country and all the people who help us put this podcast together, as well as interesting links to our guests' work and other references we've mentioned. We're Joe and Mimi from A to B. Rate, follow and get in touch on our website. And let us know who's A to B you'd like to find out about. We can't wait for you to hear our next conversation. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.